Welcome to the Musical Communication Podcast. I'm your host, Marianne Ploger, and during these podcasts, I'm looking forward to being able to explore all aspects of what it is to be musical, whether that is how we can be more musical as musicians or how we can understand why we love music and why we think it's musical or why it isn't. So we'll be exploring everything from how to perform music, how to listen to music, as well as aspects of music perception perception and cognition. Hi friends, welcome to another episode of the Musical Communication Podcast. My name is Karen and I am your producer and I'm sitting here with your host, Marianne. Hi Karen. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so happy we are back for another episode. Um, how are you doing? Very well. Very, very well. So good to be here and enjoying life in Nashville. This is one crazy place you live though. I'm telling you, there are <laughs> hundreds of tourists downstairs <laughs> yes walking the streets yeah absolutely we live downtown and for those of you that are not local to nashville we are the bachelorette capital of the world mm -hmm. so lots of bachelorette parties and now that you know our covid situation is getting slightly better we have party barges again and um what are they called like the pedal taverns and <laughs> Lots of energy down Lots here. Of energy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it's good to be in a place people want to be at. Absolutely. The energy is amazing. It is. It is. Lots of feminine energy. <laughs> Lots of feminine energy. Uh -huh. And also, there's a new statistic in our uh, housing market, which I'm sure, you know, it's been in the news. There's 206 people that move here every single day. Incredible. Incredible. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, the driving is a lot different than it used to be. It's a nightmare. Yes, so. it's becoming crazy. And another fun fact, uh, I feel like trivia night, um, there's going to be 33 new hotels um, between now and 2025. You're kidding. Downtown alone. That is amazing. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. Yeah, our economy is skyrocketing and it's fortunately and unfortunately becoming very expensive yes. to be here. Well, it's a, turning into a bigger city. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah, but I still like that we have the small town feel. Um, Me too. For you know, former Northerners like myself, everyone's still pretty slow and relaxed and calm, and nothing's an emergency That's here. Right. So no, it's very it's, friendly. It is so beautiful too. I live just a little bit out of town, and oh, the hills and mm -hmm. the green. Oh, the trees. It, it, beautiful gardens it's a lovely lovely place yeah. yeah have you been to cheekwood lately not in a while it's been about a year and a half oh and, my goodness uh, we should go is, uh, i know i'd love that it is gorgeous i went further they had a tulip exhibit oh i've never seen that oh it's life-changing oh. and thankfully fun fact tulips uh, are hypoallergenic mm -hmm. So it's not like springs in your face. It's just beautiful to see. <laughs> well, I would love that. We'll have to take our hounds out for a walk and yeah. enjoy that. That'd yeah. be so fun. Um, so for today's episode, we wanted to talk about, you know, it's it's very close to the end of the semester. Most people might actually even be done now, um, college folks. And we wanted to just kind of talk about what students can work on or anybody um, over the summer and how to kind of, now that there's hopefully more time just really be able to work on some of these foundational things you know get our priorities straight or our priorities straight mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um what would you suggest we do well i always think it's a good idea to practice and in fact improvise rhythm every day and so one of the things that i'll always say is that uh, if you want to just do this on your own it's great to just simply say okay i want to do something in two four and uh, then you can say okay i want to use 
principally quarter notes and eighth notes and keep it simple initially and then just get a nice groove going in your in your lap like you might hear me just gently now i'm just tapping first of all the first beat will be on my left thigh and then the second beat will be on my right side and what i'm trying to do is get each beat to be the same length and just a nice feel the first one's slightly stronger or louder than the second one that creates rhythmic hierarchy because we do not speak like this <laughs> so we have stronger and weaker beats and okay. so you just do that and then what you just do is say, okay, well, let me just see what I can come up with. And I just might go, ta, 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 I don't know. It's different every time. And so what I recommend doing when you do this is really just noticing that you're always thinking the ta, 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 those eighth notes underneath going on. They're the atoms. You're tapping the quarter notes, if you will, in a two, four time, the larger beats are like molecules. And so you got your atoms and they're always there even when you just are doing a quarter note, you're still feeling that. And then what you wanna do is see if you feel like you you deal with musical notation. You can uh, use the book I like very much, which is called Rhythmic Training by Robert Starr. And it's a fabulous book, inexpensive, but then just you know, take a look at some of the two, four exercises and you want to know how they're annotated. And what you want to do when you're improvising is gently, and I mean gently, ask yourself to imagine as you're improvising what it would look like if it were annotated. Okay, so for example, if I were going like this, this is in two, four now, and these are quarter notes. Ta, 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 ta. What I would have seen was a quarter note, two eighths, and then on the next downbeat would be two eighths and then a quarter. So I'm trying to imagine how they look. Now I want to suggest you we always keep it simple. And so for many of you who are already pros, you might think, oh, that's just so simple. Actually, it's not because you're inventing something and you're actually asking yourself to do something that you're going to want to be able to do, which is to visualize how it's annotated and gently adding that to your improvisation. So keeping it simple is one of the most important things I teach, uh, especially at Blair, which is part of Vanderbilt University and very high achievers there. Um, I would ask people to improvise something, a rhythm, like I was just doing, and then the rest of the class had to be able to annotate it as they were doing it and and be able to remember it so they might do four bars and it had to be memorable enough and they get all really complicated and it was so cute because then the people just couldn't get it at all in the class yeah so having to say now look the goal is to communicate <laughs> so the goal is for you to do what your improvisation so that somebody else could remember it and repeat it back and what was really great is that very often uh, initially they couldn't repeat it back themselves so it's like well Beethoven might throw that rhythm out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just saying. So what you want to do is just enjoy doing that kind of rhythmic improvisation. If you wanted to add triplets, you know, then you have atoms that are even smaller because they're going to be three of them per beat. So one, two, three, two, two, three, one, two, three, two, two, three, one, two, three, two, two, three. So the atoms are and then you just improvise. I don't know. Ta 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 As you go, you're going to find that you will naturally get more complicated. But you never want to let yourself improvise anything, as I've talked about before, that you can't actually visualize. If you if you can't visualize what you're doing, do it again. Keep the rhythm going. Don't stop. But just try to get so that you can do that rhythm. I cannot more strongly advocate. Uh, 
combining the book that I have written called The Plogger Method, Crafting um, the Fluent Musical Mind. And what you do is you use that, what's called lap map with the star rhythmic training so that you go through each exercise. And I, I just think it's so valuable. So I, I mean, honestly, I'll have people who are professional conductors, marvelous musicians, very successful. And they're still going through each and every one of those exercises because mm -hmm. as we know, developing a sense of confidence and that your foundations don't have a hole or a giant crack in them is very important. And the book, The Star, is beautiful in terms of its clarity and organization. And it's teaching new vocabulary words in each exercise. So if you already know the vocabulary, you just whiz through them. But try to perform them with our technology. My recommendation is record yourself. Make a recording. And then maybe listen back. And if you heard an error, try to figure out reaction anticipation or looking back mm. but definitely when you practice only ask yourself to perform what you know you can do right the first time if that's two bars good but improvise first using the ideas that are in the two bars that you're going to be doing so that you've digested them such that you can then use them okay so it's useful energy so this would be always very important don't just start and go until you crash try to just take a certain amount, study what's there, digest what might be unusual by incorporating it in improvisation, you know, so that you can see that if it goes ta, 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 okay, whoa, it was a quarter note tied to an eighth note tied over the bar to another eighth note to an So be able to, to tell what those rhythms are so that you can tell what's, what's happening. And um, that would be my recommendation. And systematically, you want, want to go through and, and do it on your own. Mm. But listen back. if you It's really great practice. If you listen to your own recording, you're kind of a conductor. Because then you're going, oh, I made an error in that third bar. No problem. What, what caused it? And then try it again. Record yeah. it a few minutes later and just see if you can lay it down. So that would be very, very good uh, to go through. Uh, the book, the rhythmic training. Of course, I do that in, in my teaching and intenses with folks too, but most of you guys could do it on your own. The other thing is, the other skill that I believe is so important besides tapping and counting and being able to do what I call the lap map and being able to keep track of beats is keeping, measuring distances between pitches. So if you, all of you folks said, I will not play a line of music without knowing every single interval between any pair of adjacent notes. And I can promise you your life will be different, <laughs> okay? But you can name them as major and minor thirds or major and minor seconds, or you can just name how many semitones are between them. So for example, D up to F, minor third. But you know what? You could actually just say, well, it's three semitones. And what you want to do is when you have a melody, know what all of those intervals are between adjacent notes. This is crucial because each one of those is packed with meaning. A minor third, da he has a different meaning than da tom. They have a different meaning. And so if I know each interval, I'm, it's like I know what the word is saying, what the word is in music. And you'll start finding that, wow, all of a sudden your musical performance will become so much more informed. But it, we're not used to doing that. We're not used to knowing every single interval that we're playing. The people who do know that are jazzers. Jazzers, to play some of these very complex chords they play, 
and to know the modes and to transpose. They're really good, really good at knowing these intervals. And so we all want to get to be good at that. So start off with a nice melody that isn't too complicated and get so that you can, can tell what all of those intervals are. And then start trying to see if you can play a little bit by ear, see if you could could do that. There's so much I'd love to share, but of course, you have to know what the heck I'm talking about in the first place. But <laughs> but definitely, folks, we need to we need to be much better at knowing what the intervals are, what I call dichords are between adjacent notes, and as well as vertical notes. That is notes that are lined on top of each other in harmonies. We need to know if I have a B flat and an E flat, that's five semitones. And that's going to have a different sound, as I said, as B flat to D flat or any other interval. But we don't want to just know notes. Notes are like letters. We do use letters to speak syllables that are pairs of letters. That's what I call a dichord is like a syllable, two letter syllable. And by gosh, you know, I, I have the letters I, T. Well, it's pronounced it, although it could be capital I, capital T, and then it's called I-T. But I combine the two letters and it forms a different sound, it. Mm. Or S-O, so, that's a dichord. But then we have words that turn into multiple syllables. That's what a chord is. A chord is multiple syllables. And then we have scales <laughs> that are collections of multiple letters to form what I call a heptachord, a seven note chord, a 13th chord in jazz. <laughs> so ultimately that's what we need. We need to get to be better at that. So I want to really encourage you and uh, ask you to kind of trust me at the moment that you want to be able to know what these intervals are by pointing with your index finger with a relaxed hand to each note on the keyboard that you're playing on your instrument. So if you're playing saxophone, take your melody and then follow on the keyboard. It starts on an E flat, it goes down to a B flat, and then it goes to a C, and then it goes back up to an E flat. What you want to do is track that E flat down to that B flat so that your brain is aware it's like running on a railroad track, and that it knows that it moved five semitones. You're not playing different digits. You're using just your finger, and you're kind of just gliding as if on a mouse pad and that your brain is learning how to calculate that pitch space. Okay, so that you're following what that is. And then it goes up a major second, and then it goes back, moving a minor third back up, or dichord three. So you're tracking on the keyboard as if you're following it with a paintbrush. Okay, you're painting between the dots. That's the music, are those relationships between notes. Most of us are just unfortunately focusing on notes. Yeah. Hmm. So with all of this awesomeness that you're sharing, um, how can somebody calculate the amount of time or the way to organize it? Because I could, mm -hmm. I feel for myself, like I would just want to do it all at once and mm -hmm. then get, be exhausted by day five of this kind <laughs> of just crazy um, excitement around it. Like what, what would you say are good amounts of time to spend doing some of this work? Oh, that's a great question. So Mindful time is useful time. Mindless time is useless and, in fact, often destructive. 
So I always like to tell people, your goal is to accomplish the most in the least amount of time. So I'll often tell people, do not work more than 20 minutes a day. Spend about, of that, try to spend about eight minutes on rhythm. And then spend 12 minutes, because it's usually a little bit weaker, on die chords. But <laughs> what you want to do is just say, if you only do four measures, really make it so that you feel really good about those four measures. That's much more valuable than going than binging. It's much more valuable <laughs> to just get maybe that, that eight bar phrase uh, and the sax line, let's say, mm -hmm. and really knowing what the rhythms are and really knowing what those die chords are and tracking them on it and then play it on your on in your horn play it yeah. on the sax and but don't do a lot but what you do do to fluency and beauty so a lot of people when they do more they get mindless and they get into that athletic okay just do it again and again and again and their mind is someplace else Instead, what you want to do is, again, just enjoy the sensation. Just enjoy that E-flat to that B-flat, following it on the keyboard. Enjoy the sensation of even your eyes going, what? I can't count ones and twos. That's too hard. Just enjoy. Ooh, well, let's just, let's, let's get so we, ooh, enjoy that. Oh, I'm going to move. I don't know why. I'm going to move from the E-flat down to a D-flat. I could have moved from a D, an E-flat to a D. It didn't matter. But I'm just going to be counting the number of semitones that I'm moving to that, that from note to note. And that you're just enjoying that. You're going to start noticing that, ooh, this is an E-flat major. So probably actually the track would have been an E-flat to a D to a C to a B-flat. You'll start noticing that there will be more natural patterns. There's an underlying scale like Bach said that you want to be sensing always with the larger intervals. What is the underlying scale? You're never just jumping. You're always skiing <laughs> or running like a railroad car on a track so that you're following mm -hmm. on the keyboard and training your brain to sense pitch space you know da not da da so you're moving on a monochord a theremin you're you're <laughs> creating uh, a sense of the line and that in my experience this is the secret to becoming very very musical instead of it being Ah, 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 ah. You know, it becomes a melodic line, and suddenly everything falls into place, and musicality is is there. Mm -hmm. mm. So, if so you're good. reading something new, a new piece, I always recommend get the rhythm first. Just perform the rhythm on ta. Just just try to say that in in tempo. See if you could say just the rhythm, and, and slow it down if you need to. But can you just get the rhythm so it feels natural? Let's address that first. That's that's what's holding the music is the rhythm. It's time. It's where events are happening in time. So we get that. So just say ta, and don't worry about singing the right pitch. Just sing ta. <laughs> when I was studying with Nadia Boulanger, she went ta 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 ta. You know, of course she went so 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 me. But you know, I mean, it wasn't exactly the right pitches. Um, in fact, she would be almost speaking at that point. She was 89 years old and there wasn't much pitch coming out of there anymore. <laughs> but you got the idea from her just speaking. So just speak the rhythm. And then the next thing is try that tracking in time and that your finger is following in time. 
to the right notes. You're moving from that, that E flat to that B flat in the amount of time that the piece the composer has written or indicated, whether it's slow or fast. And then you got to get to that note C and it's got to be at this tempo. So moving from that B flat to that C in that amount of time. And you'll start just finding that when you go to play it, it will be different. I can, I promise you. And if not, let us know in the comments and please be in touch. I would love your comments. So, yeah. But wow. Yeah. So put the pitches in after, after the rhythm is there. Mm -hmm. The rhythm is wrong. The pit, right pitch won't matter. Yeah. So I guess my last question, when somebody studies with you um, privately, how, how much do you recommend they practice uh, between lessons? Oh, it's usually, it'll usually be 20 minutes. Um, only I'll I'll tell them that of course what will end up happening is they'll say oh I didn't have enough time to practice and I said well you know you don't have to do it all at once you can do 10 minutes here or you know eight minutes here 10, 12 minutes there and I'll often say to them you know what don't go to sleep if you haven't practiced 20 minutes but only 20 minutes and boy is that hard Oh my gosh, for my adults, they're like, like you were saying, Karen, it's like, oh, I want to do like two hours. Yeah. And, and, and then you can't sustain that. Right. And uh, my favorite saying in this regard is a Taoist saying, Lao Tzu, the gentle wind penetrates. It's mysterious. Mm, the yeah. gentle wind penetrates. It's the gentle, unrelenting force in my experience that makes all the difference. So in another podcast, I was mentioning how my students who have really had that gentle wind, they worked every day just a little bit, but relentlessly. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that ended have ended up with the best, the greatest careers. I love that. And, you know, <laughs> the ones that were pushing and doing it really, ugh, you know, pouring it on and then not working. It's kind of the way their life is going. No traction. Yeah. Yikes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You just made me think of one of my favorite quotes, which is a bad day for the ego is a good day for the soul. There you go. <laughs> That's great. That mm. is great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so hard. We just like want to do everything all at once. Yeah. And it's just your wheels are spinning. You're, right. you're just spinning your tires in the Georgia mud. Yeah. <laughs> if you guys like my cousin Vinny. <laughs> so that wonderful movie. But yeah, definitely let's not spin our tires. It's a waste of energy. Yeah. Oh. Well, thank you so much, Marianne. This was so amazing. My pleasure, Karen. Thank you. Yeah. And please let us know your thoughts. If you have questions, try all the things Marianne said and, and let us know if you need help. Um, are you taking on students in the summer? Absolutely. The more the merrier for me. Again, I'm used to having 40 hours a week of teaching. I probably won't do quite that as <laughs> the gray hairs are showing. But uh, but the more the merrier. If you're, if you're passionate and you want to learn, I... Yeah. would be honored to work with you yes yes so reach out to her on our website um, or on social and yeah i hope i hope this was helpful 